0: To the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. My name is Maeve Bailey, and today I'll be interviewing the podcast host Nina Sunday. Welcome, Nina.
1: Thank you, Maeve. Lovely to meet you over the uh, airwaves. Yes, and you we'll be too. To our discussion today.
0: <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about written communication. So my first question for you, Nina, is what are some of the common business writing mistakes?
1: Well, here's the thing. Every time you write something, someone has to read it. And therefore, if you're spending or using too many words when you write, the person at the other end is taking longer to read it. So the discipline is, if you can cut out any unnecessary words, it's not only crystal clear communication, it's actually saving time all around because it uh, usually also cuts out ambiguity, Uh, lack of uh, clarity, and it just means that if people look at an email and they just see a sea of words without any white space or any kind of layout or even the use of um, bullets, that kind of aid meaning and aid uh, comprehension, people tend to put that aside and go, oh, I'll um, I'll look at that later. Mm -hmm. So it often sets up a ripple effect of, slowing down the chain of communication. So the discipline of ro- being clear with the fewest words is an efficiency tactic that has uh, just really widespread um, uh, implications.
0: Yes. So you mentioned about um, emails and white space. Um, what would you say are the top complaints around email communication?
1: Well, I think a lot of people complain about old subject lines being used for a new subject that's one of my pet peeves but of course in outlook at least you can rewrite the subject line and then save it with that but because sometimes I'm searching for a a past email with an item of information in it and I overlook an email that actually is the one I'm looking for because they used uh, a very uh, old uh, subject line but um there is an initiative on uh, on the net that anyone can find, and it's five sentence.es. So five sentences, but the ES stands for Espana, which is Spain. So it's just five S E N T E N C dot E S. And it's a little one-page landing page that says this is an initiative to encourage people to write shorter emails, including fi- uh, being committed to five sentences. Now, this has been around for, for years. I don't, actually don't know who set it up, but it's been around for years and years. And whenever I'm uh, talking about written communication with teams that we're talking about productivity and, and how to get clear and faster with, uh, with their communications, I always draw them to this site because as a discipline, when I've written what I thought was a short email and then I count the number of sentences... I'll go, hmm, that's seven sentences. What two sentences can I get rid of? Mm -hmm. And I get rid of those two and I look at it and I go, yep, that was clearer, it was to the point, and it will take my recipient less time to read it. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting you do that with every single email, but it's an exercise that's worth doing to enable you to get into the discipline of going, I don't need to add that little extra detail. Mm-hmm. It is one thing to have good tone, but it's another to add unnecessary detail. Having said that, I just want to say that another complaint about email communication is not taking the time to do a proper courtesy, courtesy salutation. By that I mean, hello, Ron. Not Ron. I want you to do this. Get it done pronto. <laughs> and. I use that different tone of voice because that's kind of how it sounds when it just is someone's first name or no, no salutation at all. Of course, when you're doing to and fro emails in a day with the same person, of course you have permission to just send quick responses. But generally the first email of the day has a little bit of, hi, Ron, hope your day's going well. Here's the update, and then and then you go on with your information. Going back to the wordiness principle that I spoke about earlier, the long, long sentences can be shortened, and I have this principle of one sentence, one idea. So the minute you start writing a sentence and it's going along quite nicely, and then you add and, and then you add all this extra information, guess what? There should have been a full stop where the and was.
0: Yes. I find I do that way too many times. (laughs) I don't just a big long string of unnecessary information and just end up overwhelming the person I'm sending it to. Earlier you mentioned um, one of the issues being people would write too much in their emails and then the reader would get turned off from reading the rest of the email. Um, What would you say are some quick ways that people can eliminate unnecessary words? Well,
1: there are a few quick wins, and I've done this with uh, people in their classes. I'll say, okay, grab a document, maybe a report, and just do Control F and look up all, every time you use the word that, T-H-A-T. And I'll have people say, oh, I've got 20 on just one page. Now, very frequently, most of the that's can actually be removed and it still makes sense. And the other quick win is the word the. Hmm. Instead of saying the Department of Finance, you say Department of, of Finance approved the, uh, the policy. Huh. Instead of the Department of Finance approved the policy. Sometimes you can say, often you can eliminate a lot, a lot of unnecessary those. The other little quick win is there's a thing called uh, qualifiers and these are the words that people think create weight like it was very hot or it was um really bad or it was very important it was rather good so just all these little modifying words you'd be far better off to find one word that adds that emphasis so it was superb it was um significant instead of very important it was um what did I say? Rather bad. It, it was tardy. Whatever is the word that you want to use, find a better word than using that uh, qualifying word. But the other thing I say is don't even necessarily find another word. If you just say it was important. And somehow that has more gravitas or weight. Mm-hmm. So getting, oh, there were was, there was some people there. There were people there. So it's all just some pretty rather very all those little qualifying words. Your statement is far has far more clarity and far more weight without it. So it's kind of a counterintuitive.
0: What is your um, opinion about apostrophes? Like where where do people add apostrophes in sentences that are just aren't necessary?
1: Well, this is interesting that you should bring this one up, Maeve, because I've been posting on LinkedIn about uh, the unnecessary apostrophe. And it caused a great deal of conversation and to and fro comments, because it was all to do with uh, whether uh, when you're writing a plural of anything. So videos, uh, books, and uh, it's it's amazing the number of times people put apostrophe S before a plural. And by plural just means instead of video, it's videos. There is no apostrophe before the S when you're talking about more than one, which is the plural, as opposed to the singular. I think maybe that's just not being clear on the rule around apostrophes, which is it has to do with possession, but there is one little trick that maybe gets people confused because an apostrophe is also used for contractions, and a contraction Mm -hmm is the the mushing together of two words so um, can't instead of cannot is c-a-n apostrophe t Um, wouldn't is w-o-u-l-d-n apostrophe t instead of would not Mm -hmm. but what's the phrase it is uh it is it's a it's a wise dog that scratches its own fleas It's just one of those silly made-up sentences, but it's, I-T apostrophe S, stands for it is. It's a wise dog that scratches its. There's no apostrophe in its when it's actually talking about the possessive, its fleas. So it's a silly sentence. It's not meant to, it's meant to just kind of give you a bit of a laugh, but it uses the two versions of the word in the one sentence, one that should have the apostrophe and the one that should not. So mm-hmm. I think there's been this, this lack of clarity because of um, just because there is that one example where it is the possessive, but it's not got an apostrophe. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, yeah. yeah.
0: Now, with talking about um, yes, you have the can'ts and the wouldn'ts, I think one that there's a bit of a mistake around is when people say could've. How? is it spelt could have
1: well you are spell it, you're saying it correctly because yeah. i hear people say oh i could have and that tells me that there's a very strong risk that they're going to misspell it the correct because it's a contraction of could have i could have danced all night but if you say i could have danced all night i think you're going to spell it c-o-u-l-d new word o-f mm-hmm. could of but that doesn't make sense and in fact is incorrect so I like to clear that one up because I've seen some otherwise very successful business people make that error because it's like whispered down the lane they're hearing people say oh I could have or I would have and so they're thinking oh that's how you must spell it but it is in fact the contraction mm-hmm. there you that's go. just one of those silly little points I, I probably would like to probably talk a little bit about the the language of influence and how to create a rapport feeling in the recipient would that be a good thing for me to to mention
0: i think so yes i think that would be really good
1: because one of the things i notice in when we talked about the you know the lack of a salutation mm-hmm. if you don't add a little bit of positive tone because the words in an email are just words only and it's not, it's not adding tone of voice, mm-hmm. it's not adding body language and maybe one emoji in, an, in a business email is acceptable these days, not much more than that. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are a couple of what I call red flag words that if you, if you start using that word, People may not, may even stop reading altogether, and just fly off the handle, or may you just become uh, have a negative reaction to the uh, to the communication. So one of the red flag words is unfortunately. Never start an email with unfortunately. They're going to think the worst. Like it might be unfortunately, I don't have an answer yet. But they think, oh, unfortunately, the answer is no. So never use unfortunately if you can. Just communicate the fact we're still waiting for the answer. We expect, and if we don't hear from it soon, we'll uh, we'll chase it up for you. Something like that you don't need to use unfortunately. But the other red flag word is when you're giving some sort of suggestion or advice, don't use the word should. Can you... Think why I would be suggesting that, Maeve?
0: Because you're—I would say that you're telling someone rather than saying, "Oh, maybe this would be better." You're saying, "Definitely do this." <laughs> exactly.
1: You're actually taking away their sense of choice. Mm. The minute you say you should uh, contact that person and uh, tell them exactly what you think, then when you, the next time you see them, if you say to them, "Oh, did you contact that person?" They're going to feel embarrassed if they didn't because you said they should. So you almost took away their sense of choice. And it doesn't give people a good feeling. So you must. Here are the others. Should, must, ought to, have to, required to.
0: Redundancy is a form of repetition. Now, what would you say are some of the common errors that people could avoid?
1: Well, my favourite one that I like to tell people about is Re- the reason why mm-hmm. there is a reason but but why is redundant it implies the word why so the reason is if you can just get into the habit of saying the reason is rather than the reason why but um the end result well it was the result or was at the end so mm-hmm. but not end result um close proximity well proximity means close so that's what I mean by redundancy and that is a form of repetition which also adds to wordiness and it's kind of a cliche but get yourself out of the habit of using cliches. Try and find words that convey the meaning uh, and that, com- that sort of suggest that you've thought about the language that you've used.
0: I think one of the, um, talking about concise, uh, cutting down emails and shortening them, I think one of the automatic things that people would think of are bullet and dot points to try and say, these are what we're going to focus on. This is what you need to remember. What are some of the rules around bullet and dot points?
1: Well, I just saw an example yesterday. Someone uh, wrote a sentence and they kind of listed about five or six things, but divided by a comma in the one sentence. And I went, you've missed an opportunity there. You're actually giving us a list but instead the list is contained inside a sentence, it'd be much better. It aids memory, it aids uh, uh, the ability to read and comprehend it, and it looks good with the white space around it. To go, what we have, uh, the factors we considered are colon, and then just add the dot points, whether it's just a dash, it doesn't have to be, it shouldn't be a fancy uh, dot point, just a simple dot point with no punctuation at the end, and it abbreviates. And it just creates that little bit of white space around it that, that makes it just stand out. It also invites the reader in. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that when you're doing reports, there's probably at least one bullet or dot point opportunity per page. Use it. And i don't mean putting a dot against a paragraph that's a paragraph marker i'm saying whenever there is a, a list of short things divided by commas just turn it into a, a bulleted list it's good
0: tip. <laughs> now um so when i think one of the other issues that maybe people might run into when writing is writer's block um, so when someone is writing a report, how can a business writer overcome um, writer's block?
1: Never start writing any, any communication of substance at the computer mm-hmm. because you're writing word for word and you're engaging that part of the brain that is a word for word part of the brain. Always grab a piece of paper. I'm a great believer in pen and paper. And just thinking about everything that you want to get in it. For example, say you wanted to do uh, a, a announce an event. Many's the time we've seen the the start time, but without the end time. We've seen the date without the year. We've seen the uh, the date and the uh, event, but no no location. Those those are kind of who, what, where, when, why, how questions. And you can actually use that to to plan any sort of document. But this is the thing I get people saying to me all the time, oh, I'm under pressure and I have to do this report and they're screaming for it and I sit down at the computer or the laptop and my mind is a blank. And I go, that's because you're sitting at your laptop, at your device. Get yourself away from your desk. In fact, enjoy, if there is some fresh air and some blue sky or any, any natural environment, or just another space, just grab a sheet of paper, put it on landscape, pen and paper, and just if you want to draw a, a mind map or, or, a, or a fishbone diagram, do so. But if you just want to get some keywords down on the page, that will actually get the ball rolling in your head because when you are in big picture mode, That's when you see the whole. The other tactic that I truly recommend is a a process called free writing. And free writing says, if I can just start for five minutes and just just get started, I suspend judgment about whether the word order is correct, just get writing for five minutes, you'll be amazed at how far you get. And sometimes that five minutes is enough to then go back to the computer, type it up, and then you're actually on your way if you want to just write uh, first draft on, on your device.
0: My last question for you, we've been talking about writing commu- um, and communication and talking about emails a lot, but when is the perfect time, instead of writing an email, to actually pick up the phone and call someone?
1: Oh, that is one of my favourite favorite things to respond to because look I've I've been the recipient of an email where they were just shooting off at the mouth on 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 email and I go this is a pick up the phone uh moment I'm feeling in fact what I did straight away was pick up the phone because I wasn't going to I was not going to fall victim to the uh, 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 an email war by responding to a negative email. I just, my thought was, listen, if you have have an issue with something, it could be that perhaps you misunderstood and perhaps I misunderstood, so I'm gonna pick up the phone, but there's one little criteria that I think we can all use. Whenever I'm trying to, well, two, two actually, if I'm writing an email and I start, wipe it out and rewrite a little bit and wipe it out I go, I'm having difficulty conveying the exact right message. I think I should pick up the phone. And then I ask myself, am I asking in this particular communication for a yes or a no answer, for someone to actually say yes to, to take action or, or, you know, whatever it is? Are they, do I want them to take some action? And if they say no, will that inconvenience me? That's a sure sign to pick up the phone. Never ask on email in a way that someone can send back a very quick no. If that is going to inconvenience you, you are far more influential over the phone. Why? Because it's a two-way conversation mm-hmm. and you can read the tone and you can even adjust what you say. But if you just go blah and put all your cards on the table to, as a metaphor, all your words in one document you have nowhere to go you've said it all so picking up the phone is good practice
0: well thank you so much nina for all of those tips and tricks i certainly learned a lot and i hope everyone listening did as well
1: it's been a real tr- real pleasure and uh yeah i really enjoyed your question.